Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. Yes, indeed. Welcome in. It is Downtown, the podcast, episode number 242. Rich Kimball here with you. We're brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Just one guest this week. She has had a fascinating life uh, as an actor, but best known as a writer on shows like 30-something, My So-Called Life, which she helped to create, and one of the biggest Broadway phenomena of all time, the musical Wicked that she created along with Stephen Schwartz. Winnie Holtzman is her name. We had a wonderful conversation with her here on Downtown. Let's see, where to begin in your story? I guess, well, I guess at the beginning, did you want to be a writer first or an actor? Well, that's a good question because I did want to be a writer first. Um, I was, when I was really little, I was always writing poems. In fact, I was annoying my teachers by writing them in class instead of doing, paying attention (laughs) (laughs) to the class and doing my classwork. Um, And, um, then pretty early on, I'm going to say about age 13, I really I got really, I took a real turn into acting and I got very involved and my parents were very patient with me and they, <laughs> a lot, as a teen, um, I wanted to go off and do summer stock and, um, you know, it's so funny because I look at the way I raised my daughter, and I was a, I was a little more hands-on. My parents didn't really know exactly where I was going or what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, they, they I have to give them a lot of credit because they never stopped me, and I'm really appreciative of that. So I started doing summer stock every summer uh, when I was, like, a teenager, and I was taking classes in the city. I, I lived on Long Island, and I was taking acting classes from a pretty hardcore person named Sonia Moore who had studied with Stanislavski. I'm not even sure how I found this at 15, um, but I was very serious about acting and wanted to soak up all I could. And I realized now, Rich, that all of that acting experience and um, attention and focus, you know, just played right into my writing. In other words, I used to think of it when I was young, when I was in college, say, I thought of it as two separate interests. Like I'm, I'm interested in writing and I'm writing all these poems and I'm interested in acting. But then as I became into my early twenties, I realized they were the same interest. It was writing, you know, writing for something to be performed, writing something to be performed. And so since I've had a lot of performing experiences, I channeled all that into my writing of scripts. If that if that makes sense to you, well, absolutely. Well, you went to a NYU to get your master's in musical theater writing and some impressive instructors, but you also uh, made a friend and a mentor in the great Arthur Lawrence. Yes, and our other teachers were they were all Arthur's friends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were, you know, this, they were, this was that generation of musical theater writers that became legendary for for good reason because they were all incredibly brilliant and it was arthur and stephen sondheim and he's not a writer but hal prince was with us Mm. doing some teaching along with sondheim and um um betty and adolph you know betty comden and adolph (laughs) Adolph green and um 
Julie Stein was there, believe it or not. So pretty much the history of Broadway musical theater. Yeah, and Leonard Bernstein. Yes, this was my class of NYU, which was different because the the, the musical theater workshop, the musical theater program, they call it, had just been formed. And all of these luminaries, all these stars, um, wanted wanted to pass on their... Excuse me, it's still early for me. Um, <laughs> they wanted to pass on their craft, and they wanted us to sort of... They wanted a group of young, interested writers and composers to... You know, they wanted to be able to funnel some of some of their, uh, even a small bit of their vast experiences and and knowledge and know-how into us. And what the, re- the reason I'm bothering to explain all this is that the mu- musical theater program at NYU, the master's program that I was in, um, absolutely still continues, and it's a wonderful program. But they were only there briefly. They they because at the time when I knew that group. They all still had had flourishing careers. They were all still writing. Right. So they they kind of worked with us for about two years, and then they that's how long the program was. And then they left to continue their careers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and and other people came in to fill the void. And it's still a great program. But I was so blessed because just just through a quirk of fate. I happened to find out about it through through a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine. Um, I applied. I got in. I got given. I was given a scholarship, which was very, very helpful because I didn't want to bother my parents for any more money because they had paid for so much, and they were really looking at me like, "You're kidding, right? You're really, really going to become an actor?" Like um, they thought it was not such a great idea, which is understandable. Parents have that. Ability to, you know, be practical, and it wasn't a practical idea. <laughs> um, but um, so I, I was, so I was. Um, it, it, it may, I'm making it sound like it was a smooth transition, and it wasn't. I was, um, you know, in in New York in in my twenties. Before I found NYU Musical Theater Program, I was auditioning. Um, I, I was auditioning for things and not getting them or getting very close and not getting them, but I was getting some writing work. So in a way, my life was talking to me, if you know what I mean. You know, I wasn't really getting those, those um, acting jobs. I mean, I got one or two, but very few and far between. Um, but I was getting some interest in my writing. It was easier for me. It, it, nothing's easy, and certainly... In your 20s in New York, nothing's easy. And certainly when you're writing, nothing's easy because writing is hard, as anybody listening who's a writer or has ever written anything knows. But um, I was getting the writing work that I wasn't getting as an actor, so my life was kind of saying to me, come on, um, let's go in this direction. Now, and the, 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 yeah, I'm leaving out a big piece of it because uh, it's early and I'm the age I am. <laughs> oh yeah. What I wanted, what I wanted to say was that um, around this, before I got into, before I found musical theater program at NYU, I was in a comedy group for many years with three other people, and that was really a huge turning point in my life because I stopped writing poetry and I started writing comedy sketches <laughs> and songs and. 
we all we were all writers and we all wrote our own material and performed it. So this was a way that my interest started to hone in on writing because I was writing and we were getting we were never making any money pretty much, but we were getting gigs all over town. So we were performing a lot. So I was seeing how the stuff I'd written played before an audience, if you see what I mean. Now, was it about that time um, that you met Paul? Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that time. Because a fre- a, a, one of my friends in the comedy group, Don Herman, who sadly recently just passed away, I wish I could say I was giving a shout out to him that he could listen to, but instead, um, I'm just... I'm just uh, thinking of him with a lot of love right now. But he um, he was one of the people in the group. He had formed the group, actually. And he had started writing for this famous comedy team, Stiller and Mira. And Mira and and Jerry Stiller, and that's Ben Stiller's parents. Right. For anyone, anyone in the audience who's a Ben Stiller fan, as I am. And um, his parents were very famous comedy performers and they 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 wrote their own material most of the time but they sometimes went out to other people because they had so much they could only do so much they had busy lives and um he had started writing for them and he um he introduced us to paul he because we we've been rehearsing in his tiny apartment for months this comedy group two men and two women and uh, we finally, we suddenly got our first gig, our very first gig. And we, we looked at each other like, wait a minute, we don't even know if we're funny. <laughs> and um, Don Perman, my, my late friend, said, uh, I know someone who'll know if we're funny. His name is Paul Dooley. He's really good at comedy. I'm going to have him come and watch. So he invited Paul to, um, to his apartment. This apartment was about the size of my what is now my kitchen. You know, I mean, it was just a very small one room, very small apartment. And Paul sat there and did, his expression never changed for the entire hour that we did our show. But then at the end, he said, that was very funny without smiling. That's just how Paul is. You know, it's funny. Our, our comedy group was called Serious Business. And Paul is very serious about comedy, as you know, from having spoken with him and getting to know him. So, and also he's repressed and from West Virginia, so he doesn't really smile a whole lot. <laughs> but, but he did say that was very funny, and he seemed to mean it, so we, that gave us confidence. And that night I had a long talk with Paul, but I don't really remember what we talked about, but I guess we probably talked about comedy and, and stuff like that. But I, you know, I'm 26 years younger than Paul, and at the time I was about I was about 22, but I looked like I was about 15. <laughs> and he just, it wasn't like he was hitting on me or I was hitting on him. We were just, we just connected. Um, we liked each other, but I never saw him again. And then about three years later, um, or four years later, uh, then I ran into him again. <laughs> and um, that was in an improv group that we both were invited to. And and um, yeah, that's when we really got to know each other. We're talking with Winnie Holtzman here on Downtown. Well, let's jump ahead. Uh, you, you get out to California. How did you end up writing for Thirty Something, which it, it remains one of my favorite shows of all time? 
Thank you. I love that show. And I was a fan of the show before I started writing for it. So I was so lucky. I, I start, I got my first real TV job. I got writing my favorite show, which is, you know, amazing. And I'm, I'm just so blessed. But, um, well, Paul, Paul and I were, are married at this point and we had a little, a little, a little daughter who we still have, but she was, she was, she was tiny then. And he got an offer to do a a job, you know, to, to star in a TV show out here. And so there was, it was a no brainer. We were going to come out to California because we just had this baby and, you know, it was good, a good job, a great job. So I went with him. I wasn't really thinking about my career at that point. My career was very, I'm going to, I'm going to use the word stalled or in a holding pattern. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we went out here, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do out here. I was mainly focused on our daughter and um, being trying to be a good mom. And uh, But what happened was um, my brother, who's a DP, got a job uh, shooting 30-something. And I had never seen my brother. I'd been living on the East Coast. My brother had been living here in L.A., I'd never seen him at work, and I was also was my favorite show. I really wanted to come to the set, and also two of the stars of Thirty Something were people I knew from my acting, my little acting, you know, my short-lived acting career. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I I went to the set, and I met this great guy, Richard Kramer, who's was one of the producers of 30 something um and he said this extraordinary thing to me he said oh i i think you know my brother and it turned out that his brother had been one of the producers of our comedy group when we'd finally gotten like a short run off of wow. and that was a odd coincidence because i was there because of my brother and he said if you ever if you, he said, he said, my brother said you were a good writer. And, uh, I didn't say, oh, your brother's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, in other words, he was basically saying, I heard you were a good writer from my brother. And I thought, gee, um, that's nice. I was, at the time, I was so dazzled that anybody would give me a compliment like that. Then I went home and a friend, a friend of mine from college happened to be crashing on our, our couch. And she said, Winnie, you have to follow up. You have to write him a letter. You have to say, I'd love some help with my career. And I said, what career? And she said, no, you've got to uh, follow up with him. So I did. And eventually he said, well, you know, if you wrote a spec script, I would read it. I had to find out what a spec script was. Um, and what it was is, is it's a script that you write. <clears throat> on spec, meaning you're not getting paid to write it. You just write it. Right. And it's something that could be your calling card, right? And so um, it's something that can show people, you know, if you're good at this. So I did write a spec script. I gave it to him, and they, they bought it. And um, I didn't know at the time because I was pretty new to everything, especially new to L.A., but but new to TV, Um I didn't know at the time, and new to 30-something, I didn't know that they had never done that before, and also they never did it again. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Um, I hope not because it was such a horrible experience for you and me. But that began my relationship with these two, my my two TV mentors, I would say. Well, Richard was the third TV mentor, but Marshall Hershkowitz and Ed Zwick, who created that show and ran it, they um, became, you know, my my um, my teachers, you could say, my mentors in TV, and they eventually are the two people who, you know, they're the reason my so-called life happened. And, and let's talk about that because, to, to me, my so-called life is in that 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 hall of fame of shows that had a, a run that was far too short. I put freaks and geeks in that category, just yeah. uh, brilliant shows uh, that are, are so fondly remembered and, and were so ahead of their time. I, I love the story of you meeting uh, with Marshall and Ed, and they, they threw out the concept to you of uh, uh, looking at the world through the eyes of a teenage girl who was a somewhat unreliable narrator of her own life story. Well, that, yeah, that, Sort of came with this with us. But excuse me, I I took a bite of oatmeal. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> um, that came, that came with the three of us talking and talking and talking. I mean, yes, they did have the idea of a teenage girl. They said maybe you should write about a teenage girl. Maybe you should write about the world through her eyes. I was a little. I, I didn't quite get it at first because. You know, at home I had this, um, I think at the time she was four, I had a four-year-old. Um, you know, I just wasn't thinking about teenagers. You know you know how it is when you have, if you have a four-year-old, everyone you know has a four-year-old. <laughs> you, know <what> I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, you know, you're meeting the people from there. Right, right. Um, I, but, yes, I think the unreliable narrator piece just, sort of came about through us talking and me and me writing. Yeah, didn't you so, didn't yeah. you write out uh, essentially a diary, a journal and and show them to that as opposed to creating scenes? Well, I the, the diary wasn't that long, but but what happened the reason that happened was because I was struggling because I you know I'm sure people in the audience can can relate to, you know, I I just started in TV and suddenly I was writing a pilot for a TV show. I I, I was a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I I was I was new at everything. This was all new to me, and I kind of felt like I don't know how to do this. And I I was kind of choking, and I said that I I, I confided that to Ed one day, and he said, "Oh, listen, just." Um, don't think about it like a pilot right now. Just think about writing her diary. Just get her voice. <laughs> and so, and at one point, we were thinking of having the diary entries, you know, be part of the show. And I think what that ended up being was that little voiceover that you hear her thought when you hear her thought. And you went and did a little research, right? Went to a high school to uh, bring back some of those memories, both good and otherwise. I <laughs> Um, because, you know, I, I, I wanted things that would jog my, that would jog my memory and would just jog me, you know, the, when you're, um, when you study acting, anyone in the audience who studied acting knows this, um, you know, you're encouraged to, to do things called sense memory, you know, right, right. where you recall, um, let's say you recall 
the smell of a certain T-shirt will bring you back to a time in your life when you were at summer camp or, I don't know, I'm just making that up. But The sound of know. a closing locker, that's one. <laughs> exactly. Like when I went, I, I think I knew instinctively, intuitively, that what if, if I went, and when I say I went back to high school, it wasn't a Cameron Crowe type thing where he <laughs> spent a year undercover as a high school student and wrote that brilliant book and then that brilliant movie. No, I mean, I just went like for like three days to two different high schools or something like that. You know, I had I had a friend in one high school who was teaching and I went to the other high school through a program at the Writers Guild where you can go in and guest, guest teach, you know, guest teach like a writing class to an English, you know, to an English class. Um, I, I think I spent like three days total in, in high schools, but that was way enough, you know, um, to, the, you're absolutely right. The, the clang of the lockers closing, the, the bell, the bell ringing. Just the look of the kids looking so bored, sitting there, you know, half falling asleep, um, or just the just the feeling of that feel that pulsing feeling when the in the halls when everyone is moving through the halls to the next class. There's just so many, you know, the little paper straws, you know, in the cafeteria. They're just all these little details brought back, not just memories, but a, a feeling. Well, I, I've taught high school and, and middle school kids for more than 30 years, and, and I don't know that there's ever been a show that has better captured the feel of what that's like. It was just so incredibly accurate and honest in its portrayal, and, and also the, the notion that you know kids at that age, if they're at all self-aware, yeah. carrying around that inner monologue constantly. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, it, you know, I, I knew I couldn't capture everyone's high school experience um but i do know that i know i know now reliably that when you're really honest when you really get personal and honest about your own feelings that's when you have the the likelihood of reaching um more people Mm. you know you're never going to reach everyone and that's not even the goal there's you know because people What's wonderful is that there's plenty of TV shows, and not everything has to be for everybody. But it, but when you're really specific and honest, uh, and and you really sort of describe something personal, and by personal I don't mean that it, everything on the show happened to me because that's not at all that's not at all true. Uh, no, that's not that's not how I write. I don't write you know by autobiography, but. When you when you get personal about what you what what feelings you remember and the specifics of what it's like to be a person to be you um, having feelings, you know you're you you have a good chance of of having other people relate, you know. Um, well, and you and you had a perfect match too of uh, of words and and then the delivery system uh, with. Claire is just yeah. amazing talent at such a, a young yeah. age. Yeah, Claire, I mean, that was such a big part of it that I, I mean, Claire Danes was such a huge part of it because, you see, without her brilliance and her her incredible um, depth, her incredible depth and complexity and, and, and beauty as an actor, without that, you know, I mean, it was so 
interconnected. I was I was being in, inspired by her all the time. And I also felt this incredible freedom because I felt like she, and I didn't just feel it, it's true, she can do anything as an mm. artist. She can go anywhere. So I didn't have to think, well, maybe she can't handle this scene or maybe she couldn't do this kind of moment. You know what I mean? I knew she could do anything. So I could I felt like I I felt like I'd been unleashed kind of thing. Like I didn't have to stop myself. Talking with writer Winnie Holtzman on downtown. We'll take a break for a word from Cross Insurance. Back with more right after this. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. I've heard it said that people come into our lives Bringing something we must learn And we are led Back on Downtown And more of our conversation with co-creator of the musical Wicked Writer Winnie Holtzman and we help I have to think another red-letter day in your career Is when uh, Stephen Schwartz reached out to you and said Hey, I have this idea for a musical <laughs> Yes, that was a big moment In fact, I... No, I remember those moments vividly with Stephen because, you know, my, you know, it's another, I'm, it's another sort of similar thing where I wasn't, I wasn't quite sure I could do it. Um, <laughs> that's sort of a theme in my life, I guess. And um, I mean, I guess when you think about it, what, what's better than doing things that you don't really know you can do because you're stretching yourself mm. and you're reaching, you know, that's like that Robert Browning quote, you know, a man's reach to exceed his grasp. Right. What's the heaven for? You know, I'm, I'm not um, comparing myself to Robert Browning. <laughs> I'm just saying like, um, you know, there, there's, I think that's been a big part of my life and probably many, many people's lives is that, you know, you, you get presented an opportunity and you know, you have to try even if you don't actually feel like you you know how if you're going to be able to do it or not. I mean, and the reason I say say it that way about Wicked is, you know, I've been I I started I I I'd been in musical theater program. I'd written my, a, a musical years before, but you know, Stephen was like a master at this, and um, is a master. And I, I felt a little, a little intimidated by that, but I also knew how much I would learn working with him. And I also knew I, it was a great opportunity. I had to say yes. I was, I was never considering saying no, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I was, you know, it was, it was 
Let me put it this way. I knew I'd be working my ass off. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. We had actually had Gregory Maguire on our show uh, last summer, and, and, and the book is wonderful, but if you did a faithful interpretation of the book, you'd have to have the audience back about four nights in a row. And so exactly. I, I think what made it so incredible is that you didn't do a word for word, let's make this a musical. You took the concept. You took the ideas of Gregory's book and then yes. turned them into this magical bit of musical theater. Yeah, I mean, we knew from the beginning, Stephen and I, that wasn't going to be taking that book and putting that book on stage because as fascinating, as complex, and as brilliant as that idea is that Gregory had and his brilliant idea of, of, saying, of making the Wicked Witch of the West the heroine of a story, the heroine of the story, and saying, you know, you don't, you think you know that this person was wicked. You don't know anything about her. That's a brilliant idea. We we clung to that idea. I mean, that idea was such a, honestly, was so it remains so inspiring. Um, it's such a it's such a brilliant idea. But we did we never thought that the plot of his book was going to be the plot of our musical so we we just um you know we had his permission thankfully and we just took it and we took that idea and kind of made that idea our own if you see what i mean and i think one of the things that really was <laughs> was mysterious and great with steven and i is even though we're two different people and we certainly are not twins we really were in sync about how to what this musical could be and and what we were envisioning and that's what really helps in a collaboration it's not that we had this, it's not that we never had disagreements or that we never saw two different things because we had to we had a lot of different ideas that we had to figure out together and sometimes we would disagree about things but we had a basic vision that was the same and, and not and, that you would have a uh, a favorite character i would not suggest that but but is it sort of the nature of writers as observers of the human condition to, to sort of identify with the outsider? Oh, I think that's such a great question. Wow. Um, yeah, I think you're right. What a great question, because, because that's what we're doing. We're, we, we, are, we tend to be people who are looking at other people, you know, who are observing, yeah, and who are noticing just, that we're maybe not in the middle of the action. We're we're sitting at the side noticing. You know, it's interesting. Writers tend to be, yeah, I think, you know, you can't make sweeping generalizations, although I do every minute. But <laughs> writers, writers um, do tend to be that person who are looking and noticing and observing. And even if we don't know we're doing it, we're doing it. Um, but... Yeah, absolutely. That's very well put. But um, I think, what if I can say that outsiders? I think also there's another element to the outsider, which is the rebel, you know? Sure, yeah. The, the, person, the person who goes, it's, you know, I can't go, I can't just go along. I, I have to, I, I see things differently. Or, you know, I can't just go along with this. It isn't right. And um, I think that's a whole other aspect of being a writer that you don't necessarily, <laughs> I'm thinking of something now, which is that um, 
when I was in high school, I once had this teacher come up to me. I forget what prompted it. Um, I don't know if anything prompted it or what prompted it, but he actually said to me, you know, you should be more like, and he named this other girl. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> who was kind of like the, um, had the highest grade point average in our class and was like the perfect student on the outside. I mean, nobody's perfect, uh, really. But, and um, I was really shocked, actually. And I wrote him this letter that he never responded to, to my, to my memory. But I wrote him this letter, and I was like all of, all of 16 or so, or so. And I just said, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be like her. I'm not going to be like anyone. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm myself, and I, I go my own way at 16. And I was a pretty shy kid. I mean, I did take acting seriously, so I did a lot of performing. But I was kind of shy inside and um i don't know what gave me the courage to write a letter like that to my to my uh, teacher but you know what when i look back at it i go yeah that's who i that's who i was even then you know i just knew i was my own person and that i wasn't going to be like everybody else I think that's pretty common for, for, well, for high school kids in general, but I work with high school theater kids now and, and they are not, they're certainly not the most boisterous, the most flamboyant of students. They, they tend to be quite often on the quiet side, but they also have a a pretty strongly developed sense of self. Yes, you're right. And they, they, they value that, right? They value their individuality. They, right. They want, Mm. want to, they want to be individuals, um, and they, they like that in other people, too. It's like, be yourself, right? Um, yeah. So and nobody ever knows, I don't, I don't think, as they're creating something, that it's going to become not just successful, but in the case of Wicked, a, a global phenomenon. But, but when was it? Was it during rehearsals? Was it during previews? When did you and Stephen get a sense that this was going to be something that uh, that would have a, a shelf life beyond the normal musical theater work? Well, I I have <laughs> I have a good answer. Go <laughs> on me. Um, I <laughs> we were talking about high school. <laughs> um, I I remember that we had a, a reading. Reading meaning you know we were sitting the actors were sitting at a table. And we had a piano in the corner, you know, a reading of it, of the whole of the whole script. Um, at one point, uh, that we invited out here, and we invited a whole bunch of friends, um, friends and acquaintances, like you know, maybe fifty people or something. And um, we didn't have a Dina then, but we had the amazing Stephanie J. Block. I don't know if you know musical theater actors. But Absolutely. She's incredible. And we had Kristen. And this, this script was probably about an hour longer than it is now. I'm not kidding. <laughs> um, or, it, or it seemed like it was an hour longer. It was very early version of the script. Um, and... So what I'm saying is it was a very rough version of Wicked that needed a lot of work. That got a very primitive version of it. And at the end, I remember looking at my, one of my best friends was in the audience and she was just crying. Oh, wow. 
And then I looked around, and like a lot of people were wiping away tears. <laughs> and I was thinking, I don't know what I was thinking or if I could think, but but I was like, wow, like whoa, okay, like in other words, it had a, it seemed to have a strong emotional effect on people. That's what I'm trying to say. And we knew, you know, we had so much work ahead, <laughs> and and you know, we we did a lot of rewriting of that of that version of the script. Believe me. But it was still the same story, if you see what I mean. Just better told, better, right. more elegantly executed. Um, tri- you know, not just trimmed. I mean, not just, you can't just trim something, you know. It, it's not about just making it shorter. You have to figure out how to make it more expressive. How do, you know, am I, am I really, is this scene really expressing what the audience needs to understand at this time? So there was so much rewriting but really, the essence of the show had all was already there in emotion, if you see what I mean. And that's when I think I realized. It. And then there's another funny story I have, if you have time for it. Well, of course. San Francisco. Um, well, when we were in San Francisco, um, you know, tr- which was our Broadway tryout, our pre-Broadway tryout, um, we we were literally doing that thing that you see in the in in a in a movie about out-of-town trials where we were rewriting it every day <laughs> and um, and giving new pages. To yeah, them. take these new pages, after. learn them by tonight. Yeah, no, it was, but we really were and <laughs> really doing that. And, it, you know, I I was a mess. I mean, I, I shouldn't really say that about myself, but it was I was it was a very intense time. But so so uh, so we were went into previews. In other words, actually, so for the first time we have a paying audience, right? And I think it was like the second day of previews, right? Like so, so early, right? And um, Stephen, <laughs> Stephen comes to my hotel room and he says, "Oh, the, the strangest thing just happened." He goes, um, "He he said I passed by the theater. My hotel was just right next door to the theater." He said, I passed by the theater and I saw this crowd of people and I thought, what happened? Did somebody fall? Did a brick fall and land on someone? And then he realized, he looked around and he realized they were online for tickets. But you have to understand, this was like the second preview, the second or third preview. We weren't advertising, uh, I don't think. Or if we were, it was very small. Um, So he was startled because we were both so we were both so consumed with all the ways in which we had to make it better and all the things that weren't working so we hadn't we hadn't given a moment of thought to like wait maybe people are already enjoying (laughs) (laughs) and telling their friends to go you know so he had this look on his face and he said i think you know maybe maybe it's not as terrible as we think (laughs) because there's a crowd of people. It was this was at like ten in the morning. Wow! <laughs> you know, there's a crowd of people waiting to buy tickets to this thing that we think is so got so <laughs> many problems. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm I'm curious when you're editing it, and it's so hard to to cut your own words. Um, is that is that a question of of having faith that the audience? has an idea or at least uh, will will follow where you're going and will be there with you every step of the way. Well, first of all, you know, you develop a sort of a ruthlessness where you, you know, 
you know, I've cut so many things in my life, not just from, not just from Wicked, but from a million other things I've written. Sure. That you just have to take things out that you that you still love, but that you realize. And this is the hard part. It's you know, there's no book that can teach you this. It's, uh, it's very hard. You just it's just experience and sort of harsh. I don't want to use the word harsh, but you know, sort of like a. An ability to go back and forth between the part of you that just creates and just lets it all out and just writes, and then the editor part of you that looks at it kind of mm. with more, with more um, clinically. Right, I, it, and I don't want to say I don't want to use the word harsh, but but do you become your own toughest critic that you're able to look and say yeah. it's great? But it doesn't fit right here, and I can tell the story in a better way without this. Exactly, and and that's that's experience and doing it a lot. You know, that's a muscle that you develop. Mm. And by the way, you have to do it in such a way that you don't cut off your own creativity. In other words, you don't want to become this editor so strongly that you never write anything because you go, "Well, it's just not good enough. It's just not good enough." <laughs> and then you become this person who just doesn't write anything because it's just not perfect enough. You know, you have to have that that other part of you that relax. Well, relax is a is a is a stretch for me. <laughs> but um, that person who just really lets it lets loose and just lets yourself write and lets it be too long and lets it be terrible, quote unquote, and just make a big mess. And it's okay because no one's looking. It, it, you know, you have to you have to. Um, allow that part of you full reign and then when it's the right time and and only when it's the right time you bring in that other side that wants to look at it with more it with 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 with, with a, a, a different eye i guess you could say like the eye of like okay like what what's going to be the most expressive what's going to give the audience the most emotional response you know what's going to evoke the most emotion mm. here or what's going to be funnier you know if you're if you're writing that kind of moment you know what's going to be funnier but it's like there's no shame in it that's the part that i think is hard for me and also for for maybe for other people is you know you have to take that component of like oh fucked up you know excuse me <laughs> Is am I allowed to say that? Oh sure. But <laughs> you, you you have to take that part out where you're sort of like castigating yourself because there's no such thing as writing without writing multiple multiple drafts, right? So you're going to you the whole idea is not about perfection or getting everything right. The whole idea is is that it's a process. It's almost like a process that never ends. I mean, in other words, I don't look at Wicked now as it as it lives, you know, on stage and go, oh, it's perfect. How perfect it is. That's not how I think of it. I think of it as, you know, of course it's got imperfections. It's something I wrote. I can't, or that I wrote with Stephen. And, and with a lot of help from, you know, the the producer, Joe Mantello, the director, you know, the, the, the two women who were our original stars you know, were so inspirational um, and gave us thoughts that are in the show, you know. 
We're talking with Winnie Holtzman on downtown. Yeah, I want to mention, I want to get to uh, another show you worked on recently. Uh, what was the experience like uh, getting to work with your daughter, Savannah, uh, with Paul, uh, with your brother on Huge? Well, that was a beautiful experience and one that I just feel so lucky to have had. I mean, we, we couldn't have planned it. You can't, you can't go into, you know, a network and go, I want, my daughter and I want to do a show. The show together. Could you make that happen? <laughs> it just kind of evolved because Savannah had written something that it was then known as ABC Family wanted to make into a show, and they were going to put her with a showrunner because she was so young and inexperienced at that point. And this other friend of mine who was involved said, you know, they're just going to put her with some stranger. Maybe it should be you. And it had honestly never occurred to Savannah or I, and we talked about it, and it turned out we both thought it was a great idea because the truth is we're very collaborative together. I mean, we, we've we already written some, some littler things together, um, and it just was a perfect – it just sort of fell in our lap. And we had a, a – you know, Huge is um, – I think it's available on Hulu. Uh, it's – it's one of those things that, you know, it also had a short life. It was only, it's only 10 episodes, but we're really proud of it. We, I, I think that it, it, it speaks to that thing we were talking about before about outsiders. You know, it's, a, it's about teens at a fat camp. But I think, I mean, I'm not to pat myself on the back too much because Savannah did most of it. She was, Savannah did a lot of it. Um, and I, I, I would say that I was there helping, um, but she, it's so much about, you know, coming to accept yourself mm. with, and coming to celebrate who you are without, without shame. And um, so people, people listening, I don't know if it appeals to you, but if it does, you might want to check it out because we're really proud of it. And it, it's, got, it's got these wonderful young performers in it and paul is in it yeah paul play, plays the the camp <laughs> chef who has a secret actually and his secret gets revealed in the in the 10 episodes i also enjoyed the heck out of roadies which was boy what a gathering oh, of you. talented folks with you and uh cameron crow jj abrams who is a uh, uh, quick story jj abrams is married to uh, the daughter of uh, our former school nurse here in oh, Maine. Yeah, she's from Maine. That's <laughs> yeah. <crazy. laughs> what a small world. That's funny. Of course, I remember she's from Maine. She's so special. Um, well, Rhodey's was a wonderful experience for me because I really, really love Cameron Crowe's writing and him as a person. And um, Cam Cameron... And JJ asked me to do this with them. And, you know, it didn't get a good response in the press, I've got to say. But I know a lot of people really enjoyed Rhodey's. We, you know, Cameron, that was his world. And he was inviting me into his world of, of being on tour and, you know, following a band and being a roadie. Not that he was a roadie, but he knows that world mm. inside and out. And we had... Um, people that really were roadies um, advising us and giving us inside information. And 
I hate to, again, I sound like I'm patting myself on the back so much, but that, that, the show has a lot of authenticity in it, I think you'll find if you actually watch it. Um, I'm not sure, I'm not sure um, I can explain completely, you know, why, why, why people were so, um, people in the press were so negative about it. And, I, you know, again, I guess it comes down to that thing we were talking about before, which is, you know, everything isn't going to be for everyone. And that's just how it is. And you come to accept that. And, you know, I really love roadies because also I, that, you know, collaborating with somebody that, that, that incredible, that a writer that, that deep and knowledgeable and um, thoughtful as Cameron um, and wildly funny, like, um, it, it, that's a rare experience. I mean, I feel like it, it, it helped make me a better person and a better writer to work with him. I also feel like sometimes, sometimes with critics, when you have people who have had great levels of success, they look for the opportunity to perhaps knock them down a peg or two. I agree. Because, you know, because Cameron, after all, he started out as a journalist. Right. Everyone knows that. And, you know, I think a whole lot of journalists wish they could have been Cameron Crowe. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, how come I can't have an Oscar? <laughs> well, maybe you're not that good a writer yeah, as Cameron is. Imagine that. What? Yeah. I mean, you know, when you think about his body of work, he he's given so much joy to people and so much, you know, I mean, he's he's amazing. So, yeah, there might, there might have been some of that in there. Absolutely. Well, Winnie, you've given a whole lot of joy to people with your body of work as well. Uh, it's been wonderful to have a chance to, uh, to talk with you here. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you. Thank you. This was delightful. I enjoyed it. Winnie Holtzman with us here on Downtown, the podcast. Our thanks to Winnie for being with us this week, and thanks to you as well. We remind you, Downtown's brought to you each week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. We'll see you next time right here on Downtown.